Welcome to Kinder Transport, Remembering and Rethinking, a production of the Association of Jewish Refugees. I'm your host, Alex Maus. It's been more than three years since we concluded our 10-episode documentary series about the Kinder Transport, the rescue effort in 1938 and 39 that saw nearly 10,000 children under the age of 17, mostly from Germany and Austria, but also from Czechoslovakia, Poland, and other countries, being sent by their parents to safety in Britain. We wanted to return now with this special bonus episode, in part because it's now the 85th anniversary of the Kinder Transport. Those first trains arrived at Liverpool Street Station on the 2nd of December 1938 and continued until the outbreak of war on the 1st of September 1939. But also because the topic of the Kinder Transport is experiencing a moment in the public spotlight right now, thanks to a new Warner Brothers film called One Life, which tells the story of Sir Nicholas Winton, Nicky Winton as he was known then, who helped save 669 children on kinder transports from Prague. If you've listened to episode 10 of this podcast series, the episode called Legacies, then you may recall that it featured an interview with Nicky's daughter, Barbara Winton. Following in her father's footsteps, Barbara became a passionate advocate for the rights of contemporary refugees. She also wrote the biography of her father that the film One Life is based on. Sadly, Barbara didn't get to see the film come to fruition. She passed away in 2022 at the age of 69. When I first heard that this film was being made, I was initially nervous. Yes, I'm interested in more people learning about the kinder transport, and a big-budget Hollywood production is sure to have that effect. But there are all kinds of ways that representing the Holocaust on screen can go wrong. Jonathan Friedland recently wrote a fantastic piece in The Guardian called It Will Always Be Less Hellish Than the Reality, Why Cinema Keeps Returning to the Holocaust. It's a piece which explores this complex topic really well, and I encourage you to check it out. To give an example... Schindler's List has always been a pet peeve of mine. Not so much with the film itself. It's mostly pretty good. But for what its popularity says about us, what it says about Holocaust memory. The entertainment business is just that, a business. And the film industry will greenlight films that it thinks will be popular. Schindler's List was unquestionably that. But why was it so popular? Why did it become arguably the world's defining Holocaust film? The first one that you think of when asked to name a film about the Holocaust. What is it that resonates so much about a story that centers on a benevolent Nazi? What is it about a so-called Holocaust film in which the Jews barely have speaking parts? Is it that the general public just prefers redemptive narratives, rescue narratives? Is it that these give us a way of engaging with the Holocaust, but without really having to deal 
with the Holocaust. Would one life fall into this same pattern? I worried. But then I got to watch the film, and I have to say, they did a great job. Of course, there are elements that I, of all people, will nitpick about. But on the whole, I think the story of Nikki Winton is unquestionably one that deserves to be told. And for another film about a rescuer, this one sticks much closer to the facts than Schindler's List does, to return to that example. As you can tell, this is a topic that I love to talk about. So I was honored to have the opportunity to interview James Hawes, the director of One Life. One of the things that really struck me about our conversation was that James understands these very issues. He felt a weight of responsibility to get this story right. And so he really expanded his role as the film's director learning about the history, really becoming quite knowledgeable about the Czech kinder transports. I feel like the film was in good hands and that he did right by Nikki and Barbara Winton. So here's my conversation. I should mention that this took place before I'd actually seen the film, but in any case, I hope you enjoy it. James Hawes, welcome to Kinder Transport, Remembering and Rethinking. Now, this podcast is a production of the Association of Jewish Refugees. So you can imagine that our members and our whole team have been really eagerly awaiting One Life since I think it was first announced. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's a pleasure. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, so this podcast has generally sought to tell the story of the kinder transport through the words of the children who experienced it firsthand. The AJR has an archive called Refugee Voices of 300 or so different testimonies, not all of them from the, the kinder transport, but um, we, we relied on that to tell the story of the kinder transport in their words. And so listeners of the podcast will almost certainly be familiar with Sir Nicholas Winton, but actually in our 10 episode documentary he wasn't really a primary focus i think it's fair to say so looking at the history of the kinder transport through the lens of an ordinary person who became a rescuer is obviously a very different sort of narrative than one that we've been exploring can you tell us a little bit about the story that the film aims to tell well it's dark with a man who is um, in a comfortable position in London, working as a stockbroker. He has a distant family heritage that is Jewish and European, and he would describe himself as European and socialist and agnostic, but somebody who was tremendously aware of the situation in Europe and the threats that might be building. He is invited by a friend to go and see the situation in Prague, who just knows that Nicholas will be interested, appalled, and want to help. And he goes out there for a week or two to volunteer. The key thing in the kinder transport history here is there was kinder transport from Austria and Germany. There was not from Czechoslovakia at the time, largely because of the Munich Agreement and because there was this understanding, I put that in heavy quotes, that the British government felt they had with Adolf Hitler that those people in Czechoslovakia were completely safe. What Nicholas Winton found and assessed very, very quickly was that was far from true. 
the Nazi threat was present, and just the conditions in which these refugees were living was clearly a threat to the lives of these children, and nobody was doing anything. So this one man with no experience and at the time no resources sets about trying to do what he can in the belief that there has to be a way and there has to be an imperative to save these children. It's remarkable. I mean, thank you for that. And it's uh, remarkable hearing you talk about history. I mean, it's not normally the job of a film director to also be, be a historian. Uh, but it sounds like you've really immersed yourself in in the background context of it all. Was that the case for you? Yes, I would not pretend for a moment to be a historian. But I do think that a filmmaker, when they are making a film based on real events and real lives... Um, has the duty to become a kind of temporary expert. And of course, we were super well advised by Holocaust Educational Trust and other advisors, as well as the families of some of those involved. Um, and there is not well known, not highly publicized, but quite useful accounts and archive from some of the principal actors, some of those involved in what became known as the Prague Rescue. Mm. Well, you mentioned the families involved. Barbara Winton, daughter of Sir Nicholas Winton, or Nikki Winton, um, was actually a guest on this podcast before she passed away. And I, I know that her biography of her father, if it's not impossible, was the source material um, for your film. Can you talk about the process and maybe the challenges associated with adapting a true story like this for the screen? Barbara's book is an essential and emotional, and that's really key, um, source material. Um, but that still means you've got to find a narrative arc. And it's not enough just to do, there were kids there, they needed rescuing, they were brought here. We wanted to know about what that meant for the rescuers. And that is part of what the story of the film tells. Um, and key, obviously, to that is, is Nicholas Winter. Now, um, I'm going to reverse into your question a little bit. Key to this story is that evergreen YouTube clip that so many people know and recognize of the reveal in the That's Live television program studio when he, he Nikki, is introduced to some of the people that he saved. Um, so, I, I mean, that is golden. A lot of films and stories struggle to find a satisfying ending. We knew we had an emotional narrative climax. The question is, what comes before? So, what Barbara gave us was an awful lot of character. Her book starts with this idea of what made the man who became the rescuer, which is a fantastic way to build the character. It's useful for the writers. It's useful for the actor. Um, and then it was how we, we structured these two time zones. So we tell the story in the 1930s at the time of the rescue and in the 1980s when we meet the older Nicky, where he is still living a life of some degree of grief and guilt, about not having been able to do more. The conflict and the edge between those two narratives make it incredibly interesting narratively and for an actor. That's really interesting. An issue that people in my field, in the sort of field of Holocaust education and remembrance, talk about a lot is the issue of how Holocaust stories are represented in popular culture. And there's this feeling that it can be fraught with all kinds of potential pitfalls. It's very hard to, quote, get it right. Um, and you, you may 
probably know this as a, as a director, no matter what you do, there will almost always be someone who takes exception to what you create that you haven't done it just, just so. Um, did you feel a sense of responsibility or maybe burden is the word to get the history right? Or, you know, is, is ultimately the goal is to create an entertaining story or, or of something in the middle? How do you strike the balance? It is something in the middle. I mean, you have to get the story right. Now, I take this from every level. Obviously, we work very closely with the families, um, and I include the families of uh, and talking to some of those kinder who came over on that transport. So I had long conversations in person and on the telephone with some of those people. Um, uh, but uh, also, you want to get the essential story right. We take it right down to the detail. So whether it's the art department getting the documents right or um, the art department looking for the correct trains. Now, there will be train experts out there that will tell us that the rolling stock is wrong. Oh, yeah. And they are right. But the rolling stock doesn't exist anymore. So do I tell a good story or do I not because I can't match the trains? So there will be 17 people somewhere in Europe who will send me an email saying that their enjoyment of this film was otherwise ruined by we got the wrong wheels on the trains. Um, so the, the, of course there's a balance and there is that element of dramatic interpretation. There are times when you create scenes that uh, serve the overall truth, even if they are not exact to history in that moment. And I, I don't want to take anything away from the um, train enthusiasts because I certainly would not want to run afoul of them myself. But um, on issues slightly more substantive of like timeline or, you know, sort of composite characters and things like that, were there were there decisions like that that had to be made? Yes, but very few, because we tried very hard to be true to that. So, for instance, there is a composite character who is one of the Czech volunteers, because we didn't have enough information. But we wanted to represent the fact that there were some very brave, very passionate Czech volunteers. It wasn't all about British and other Europeans coming in. The Czechs were trying to help themselves, too. Um, so that was quite important to find that, that, that element. Um, sometimes... Uh, we gave words to other characters. There's a scene where um, a German officer, a German soldier, in fact, is going through some visas and is surprised that this Englishman is escorting all these children. And his line is, why does England want all these Jews? Now, he didn't actually speak that line, but the head of the Gestapo in Prague spoke that line and was recorded as having given that line. We didn't have him in the film. We ascribed his line to another German character. That felt like an authentic and justifiable right. use of somebody else's speech. Yeah, I agree. Um, can you talk about the the role of um, Nicky Winton's collaborators, his team? Winton himself always argued that they didn't get enough credit. Now, this is obviously a film about Nicholas Winton, but does it try to correct that balance a little bit? It goes out of its... No, that's too far. It really <laughs> works to correct that balance. Um, we need Nicky Winton at the centre, but we make a big deal about Martin Blake, Trevor Chadwick, and especially Doreen Warriner as being some of those. And we hear Nicky say on numerous occasions, I was just one of them. Mm. Um, as you know, his modesty was part of his character. His quietness about what he'd done defined him. It is the antithesis of the Instagram age. He did it because it was right, not because he wanted to report it in any way. Mm -hmm. um, 
So we do, we have done that. Um, and in fact, um, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of that. And I'm proud of the fact that, for instance, some of the historians, both in Prague and the, the Holocaust Educational Trust, have contact, contacted us specifically to say it was good to see that it was not just a lone hero hagiography. That's very good to hear. Um, I don't know if you're aware, there's a new statue to Trevor Chadwick in Swanage that was erected just about a year ago. I had a chance to go just uh, a few months ago. It's really, it's quite moving uh, to to see him finally getting some recognition. You know, Barbara Winton said, you know, she always wondered or suspected that her father got the recognition they did just because he lived to 105 or whatever it was. And Trevor Chadwick died quite young. So it's nice to see that. And, and I think Nikki said the same. Um, and it was rather lovely that our actors, and in that case, the actor being Alex Sharp, um, was there for the unveiling of that statue. Oh, was that he? Oh, brilliant. In our pre-production. And then we had this extraordinary moment on set. We were filming on Willow Road outside the original house where the London operation was based. And um, this elderly gentleman was brought up by his grandson. They'd just been on their way shopping and seen the film. Um, they knew that there was a film happening with Anthony Hopkins and they wondered, was this One Life, the Nicky Winton film? And he then introduced himself as Trevor Chadwick's son, who wow. had last seen his father age seven, is now 92, and came and sat with me at the director's monitor for the rest of the day. Oh, wow. What a story. That's fantastic. I, I mean, in... Uh... In Yiddish, you know, there's this, it, it's beshared. It was meant to be like he was in the right place at the right time to meet you. We had a lot of those things happen on this shoot. Amazing. Um, there's, there's an interesting debate about whether we should make comparisons between things from the Holocaust era to the present day. Um, there's obviously a refugee crisis happening now. And no, it's not exactly the same as the circumstances in Europe in the 1930s, but it's not uncommon to hear appeals for a new kinder transport. Do you think that this film has contemporary resonance uh, on that level, or is it more of a sort of a personal resonance about the power of the individual to affect change, whatever that may be? I don't think you can completely unlink those two things. I think it is more about the second. If you think of the title of the book, The Power of Good, um, the extraordinary the extraordinary lesson and the one life title comes from the idea that we are, many of us, overwhelmed by what we see as the world's problems and tend to say, well, we can't do anything about that. It's bigger than me. Nikki's approach was to say, I don't know what I can do, but I'm going to do what I can do. Save one life, save the world. Um, so if there's a deep, seated story it's a lesson it's it's it sounds a little bit like a sermon but is to say don't stop because you can't solve the whole problem do what you can and i think that applies to today and to today's refugee issues it is hard not to feel the global pressure of the refugee question and to see how nations respond and welcome or not and assess and define refugees um i i can't remove that entirely from my feelings about the film. It isn't attempting to be preachy, but in Britain right now, there seems to be a move to try and re literally redefine what is the nature of a refugee. Nikki would be unsurprised and yet horrified that 85 years later, that's the discussion we're having. Mm. 
Absolutely. And his family has carried on his his advocacy, his passion for supporting refugees, you know, in the current day. I mean, Barbara, b- before she passed away, uh, and Lord Dubs, Elf Dubs, who was one of the, one of Nikki's children, were a sort of a road show. They would go around, you know, Barbara admitted fully, shamelessly using Nikki Winton's name to open doors and to advocate for for more humane policies towards refugees. So, yes, I, I, I didn't want this interview to be about sort of getting into the, you know, the weeds of, of filmmaking and things like that, because it's not really the point of our podcast. But I am interested, and this is another group of people who will probably have strong opinions about whether you got it right or not. Um, how did you go about creating Prague 1938? Uh, we went to Prague, first of all. And of course, obviously, the main station stands as it did then. So we filmed those scenes on the station platform, the very same platform from which many of those children would have departed. Um, we went into considerable research about what was the nature of the refugee camps around the city. And we found that quite a lot of them were in ruined um, factories and even castles. So we found a ruined factory. So it's not quite necessarily the swagged tents and boxes in the middle of a muddy field. Um, It's somewhere between that and what we'd more typically think of as a ghetto scenario. So we recreated what we could of that. Um, Obviously, there are corners of the city that are largely unchanged. Sadly, the Schrubeck Hotel, which was their headquarters in Prague, at least uh, informally, um, was under massive renovation. So we couldn't use the actual hotel for our filming, but we recreated that as far as we could. And we we walked across the same cobblestones, past the same British consulate, across the same Charles Bridge, and it it features in the film. Fantastic. You mentioned that um, another organization that you were working with was the Holocaust Educational Trust, who who we do a lot of work with as well. They do tremendous work with teachers and schools. Um, I wonder to what extent do you see that there's educational potential in this film? I mean, obviously it's not intended as a classroom resource, but teachers use films in schools um, for better and for worse. And I wonder, do you think that this could form part of helping the next generation to better understand the events leading up to the Holocaust? I haven't set out to make an educational film, but if a film tells a story that will grab the attention of students of any age, of audiences of any age, and they go away from it wiser and informed about a piece of history, piece of relatively recent human history that still has such echoes in our everyday life, then I would be very proud of that. James Hawes, director of the film One Life, the story of Sir Nicholas Winton. Thank you for joining us here on the Kinder Transport podcast. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. There you have it. I hope you found my conversation with James Hawes to be enlightening. If you haven't seen One Life yet, please do. I think it's an important contribution to the canon of Holocaust films. I think it really helps to challenge some popular conceptions and misconceptions about the kinder transport. And it helps to 
illuminate this uniquely British strand of Holocaust-era history. I should also say, bring Kleenex. There was not a dry eye in the house at the screening I attended. But hey, Nicholas Winton was an inspirational man. There's no getting around that. Thanks for listening to this special bonus episode of Kinder Transport, Remembering and Rethinking, a production of the Association of Jewish Refugees. We are a charity supporting Holocaust refugees and survivors living in Great Britain. We also welcome as members the descendants of those refugees and survivors, folks with a family connection who want to connect with others who have a shared history. Learn more about our work at ajr.org.uk. And as always, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please help us spread the word about it. And we'd greatly appreciate it if you would rate us and leave a review if you can, wherever you listen to podcasts.